The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Dr. Asante LeBlanc online as we start that feature called Let's Talk Cancer right here on Freedom 106.5 FM. Good morning to you, Dr. LeBlanc. How are you? Hi, good morning. I'm fine. And how are you? I'm blessed. That's good. <laughs> All right. So today we're talking about, uh, well, cancer and some of the questions that came up to me um, after our session uh, last week. I decided to um, to ask you to explain what do the steps of cancer mean? Because hearing that a person has stage one, stage two doesn't really, um, unless you're, you're the patient itself and you're with the doctor, uh, someone who's listening, we don't understand what the stages mean. Can you explain? Um, yes. Um, so each cancer is staged and we have a classification by which we stage cancers and it, be, it depends on the size of the tumor. It dis- depends on the nodes or lymph nodes that are involved and the, the level of spread of the cancer. Um, every cancer is different. So every staging system is different per cancer. Um, so it's, it's really dependent once somebody is diagnosed they have to be staged and that means from the diagnosis a ct scan is done and um if the if surgery is done the nodes are looked at to see how many nodes are affected locally and maybe distantly and also seen from a ct on even and a pet scan if recommended and then the oncology team would stage the cancer so it's it's not as clear cut as one thinks, but stage one you can see is a very early stage. It's a stage where one, it's much le- it's much less invasive. It is an early stage of all cancers. And stage four is when cancer, the cancers have had distant spread or distant metastasis to other organs, um, very distant to their or- or original location. I uh, and. Um... Well, uh, you touched a little bit on how you determine the stage of cancer with, um, I guess, the scans and doing surgery, um, collecting nodes, etc. How is staging used to help decide the best type of cancer treatment? How is staging used? Yes. Well, because of the staging, we have protocols. And so that determines the regime that can be proposed. And then based on that, we also have to look at the individual, their circumstances, and also what is going on to determine the, the treatment protocol. So it's not as clear cut as one thinks. It's not generalized. It's not one cap fits all. And so it's always individualized treatment. Um, while we know, for example, if one gets a, a stage one adenocarcinoma of the breast, um, then there's a regime that will, that can be proposed, but then it might just be surgery with some chemo or not but that is all it's it's very difficult to say this is what's going to happen because it's individual and it's wrong for me to say that in a very generalized term when i'm not seeing when i'm not dealing with the individual patient because individual patients have different treatment regimes and okay i was now going to ask you about what are the treatment options and as you say it's individualized it's not a general thing but um generally when you hear cancer you think about chemotherapy you think about radiation and um, you know losing your hair and that kind of thing. Are those the are those the only two options for treatment? No, those are not the only two options for treatment. So treatment for for are we speaking any cancer or breast cancer or well let's we... let's stay with breast cancer, seeing it's breast cancer awareness month. Um, okay. Yeah. 
So treatment for breast cancer can vary, but it can include, but it's not limited to, there's surgery where it can be a lumpectomy, it can be a partial mastectomy, it can be a total unilateral mastectomy, it can be a bilateral mastectomy, which means taking off one breast or both breasts respectively. It can have, and then you do what we call um, axilla clearance, which means you're taking lymph nodes out from under the armpit because the breast may have spread to the nose and you also want to see if they're spread because you want to see this, um, the proper stage as well. Um, then you can have um, chemotherapy with different um, agents that we have. Then there's hormonal therapy, which is tablets, depending on if the cancers are hormone receptive positive or not. And then you have radiation therapy or radiotherapy. So those are the, the four pillars um, that can be used alone or in conjunction with each other, depending again on the individual, the stage and the type of cancer. And can you tell us a little bit about the clinical trials? Uh, I know someone with cancer, ha uh, should they put hope into uh, clinical trials and how easy or what's the process to get into one? We do not have clinical trials right now presently in Trinidad and Tobago. So therefore to get into a clinical trial, it's, it's based again on your oncology team and the oncologists usually have the um, collaboration with other oncologists in other countries and there may be trials available. And if one fits the criteria, then they go into the trial if they accept it. So uh, trials are there and the reason trials exist is to see new medication, and also see the efficacy or maybe in very difficult cases as well there might be new drugs that they're trying in, in in trials to see how they work on those types of patients okay and is it a, a, a viable option to depend on clinical trials uh let's say that you you do get into one how i don't think that is it's <laughs> I, you know, what, what I try to always say to people is that with cancer and a cancer diagnosis, there's always hope. And that's the last thing you should lose. So there's always hope with a clinical trial. And it's, it's never, it's, it's, it's not hopeless. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not something that's empty. It's not, not because of the word trial, you know, for it to be approved, it has to go through several processes. So um, if the, it's a very difficult cancer, um, and if it's a very difficult stage and different criteria that have to be met, again, it's 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 not generalized. It's it's mm -hmm. not easy for me to say um, because every cancer is different, every patient is different, every situation is different. There are different caveats to trials. So therefore, I always applaud trials because that leads that is what helps with medical advancing in all fields, and in this case, in oncology and treatment for breast cancer. Okay, and I, I think this question would shock us into really thinking about um, looking into our health. I want to know briefly what kind of budget should one allocate just in case, you know, if you, if you know your family has a history of cancer and so on, what kind of budget should we put in place to, you know, conquer cancer? So... I think I'm being very cautious in how I answer this question mm -hmm. because the Trinidad Tobacco Cancer Society, this is the reason we advocate for screening. And this is the reason we advocate for improved lifestyles because we don't want to get to there mm -hmm. for you wondering how much you should allocate. 
No, yeah. well, well, the like, thing is... No, 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 hold on. Because mm -hmm. with screening, we get early detection. And with early detection, it means increased survivorship and your treatment regime is decreased. Now, that being said, Trinidad and Tobago and citizens of Trinidad and Tobago are afforded um, free health care in the public sector. Um, so when we look at that, um, there's public and private sector treatment for oncology. So when you look at how much it costs to treat a patient for cancer, the minimum one can charge or can expect to, to pay to treat a cancer. And that's bare, it's very difficult to say because it depends on how much how much scans you need, mm -hmm. how much what did you need for your histology? What was needed for the surgery? You understand? Where did you have your surgery? If you look at the figures that we have, you can say easily half a million um tt no not even that a million tt plus mm -hmm. is what one needs to treat a patient but the you reason understand? reason why i ask you to put that figure forward is is because most of us would not want to spend that kind of money on health to begin with and it would encourage okay well if it's that amount yeah, of money i, I have to, to spend somebody because of their pocket i want to scare them because they want to i don't even want to scare you mm. i want you to think about your life <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes people um, equate life with money in some cases. So I, I just wanted to shake them up a little bit to say, okay, if you don't have that kind of money, then you need to get yourself tested. And as you said, early screening means hope if you are, you know, positive for the disease. And well, screening leads to early detection because exactly. screening means looking for a disease in a so-called normal population. Mm -hmm. And, you know... Like I like for example, I answered your questions and I might have seen tentative because when we think when one thinks of cancer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we just celebrated World Mental Health Day, right? Mm -hmm. I think of cancer. What I just answered to you could have negatively impacted on some people with mental health mm. um, issues or can further complicate your mental health status. You understand if you are fearful of a diagnosis, and and so it's it's important for us to to really get home that message that number one, a diagnosis does not equate death. Number two, there's hope, always there's hope. Number three, there's a huge amount of support within the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society and our survivor network. But most importantly, number four is to get screened mm -hmm. for early detection. You understand? Because I, I don't know, how old are you? I um early 40s. Don't give it early 40s. Yeah. Have you had your mammogram? Yes, I've had it actually. Because in my Great. family, there is a history of um of breast, breast cancer. cancer. Yes. And when did you start? I started in my early 20s, as a matter of fact, because I had um an aunt who was going through the process at the time, and like. I mean, I, I guess the, the scare tactic worked for me in that regard because I wanted to be able to be there for my daughter and to, you know, make sure that everything was working well and on top of it. So I started that screening. So let me clarify that now. We do not... So you started screening doing what? Uh, mammograms. Right. So let me explain that and let me clarify that because there, we are seeing younger women that are coming up with appearing with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Now you had family, you have strong family history. Mm -hmm. So what your doctors would have done was look at your family history and based on that, your screening becomes individualized. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yes. Because let's say your aunt was forty or your aunt was in her thirties then your aunt, we minus 10 years, and then we look to start screening, right? Or if there was genetic testing done on your aunt, for example, then they decide, should we screen earlier, mm -hmm. right? 
Why am I saying this? Because I don't want 20 year olds just running in saying I need a mammogram. Why am I saying that? Because the mammogram is gold standard screening test. But the younger you are, younger than 40, and you do a mammogram just for screening, you have very dense breast tissue the younger you are mm -hmm. because of the youth and the hormonal influence. And therefore, it can give false positives. So I want I want that caveat to be understood. So when a young woman comes in with very strong family history of breast cancer, yes, they have to be screened. But more so if that young woman feels a lump or, or a, something, a discomfort in the breast, then it now be, changes slightly from screening to a diagnostic workup. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that that is understood because I don't want younger women saying, well, Dr. LeBlanc says I can screen at 20 and have a mammogram because that's not the standard, it's not the guideline, and it can give false positives, right? right? Yeah. So one has to be very clear on that. And that's why we may start in younger women with ultrasounds to see if we're seeing anything. But we have to understand that particular patient's family history in terms of how many women or men in the family have had breast cancer, what type of breast cancer, have they um, succumbed to the breast cancer, or have they survived it? and so forth to determine that regime for that patient. All right. And well, in the discussion there just now, you also mentioned men. And I want men to understand that women alone don't get breast cancer. It is possible for men to have breast cancer. Uh, yes. What support mechanisms are there for men to, you know, go through this process? The same support as women. Mm -hmm. We don't discriminate. So men are, are, we educate that men can get breast cancer because they do have breast tissue. We, we do have the paddles in our clinic that can handle small breasted women and men. If we have to do the mammogram, the men have to have enough breast tissue, obviously for the mammogram, but we can do the ultrasounds as well. So we do the same process and we support them with our survivor network, our psychological counseling, all the same process and the Trinitarian Society advocates and will always be there to try and really make this process a much more, dare I say, pleasant one, um, facilitated and also forced to improve for better access to all the services in both public and private sectors. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, as you mentioned, yesterday was uh, the recognition of mental health, well, World Mental Health Day. We want to understand how mental health plays a part in the disease. We'll be right back. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. So welcome back once again, and this is Freedom 106.5 FM. And we are speaking with Dr. LeBlanc on all things related to cancer today. And we're going to step into what mental health and cancer have in common. Let's let's see how, uh, basically, what does mental health, uh, how does it affect cancer patients? I think, well, <laughs> you see... To be healthy means the balance of body, soul, and mind, you know? And I think it's about how any disease affects one's mental health. Because when you are given a devastating diagnosis of any kind of any disease, and in this case of breast cancer or cancer on the whole, that it really depends on your coping mechanisms and how are they su sufficient at that time. It depends on your, you know, like, did you see 
a family member go through this disease and was it devastating or did you not? You understand? Mm -hmm. So it's, and what kind of support system do you have? So it can be devastating. It can be a little debilitating, but it's it's really a lot for, for one patient. And that's why we always advocate and advise for a strong support network. Because you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days as with everything. But one thing that is clear is that you have to always have hope. Now, that's easier said than done. And I've, I've, I've met, well, as you can imagine, thousands of cancer patients and survivors. And the one thing that brings through is a, is a lot of spirituality, you know, and having that support and being able to be frank about your feelings and letting it out, knowing that you can cry, that it's a safe space that you know and that is very very important because without that that is that is dare i say one of the pillars to survivorship as well to get you through that treatment journey as well and what is the link between mental illness and well the outcomes uh, i know that we touched briefly like if you have a better mental state your your overall feeling of getting better is a lot higher isn't that true you know it's like so if let's let's put a scenario mm -hmm. if you are clinically depressed and you're on medication and you're struggling with that depression and then you get a diagnosis such as cancer there's no doubt that it can negatively impact on your mental health even further yeah but that is why it's important to always ensure that the treatment team for cancer on the whole and in breast cancer in this case is very holistic and integrated what does this mean it means your your gp or your family doctor your oncologist your surgeon your radio your interventional cardio um radiologist your radiotherapy um, um specialist your your um oncological nurse your your counselors your psychiatrist in this case a, a psychiatrist um, your pharmacist, everybody and your spiritual leaders or your spiritual guide um, and your family all have to be involved and on the same page because it's all towards your benefit as a patient. And it's really important to have that, you know, nutritionist as well, to have that um, complementary and integrative and holistic, dare I say, approach to, to healing and to that journey of healing. Is it true that some of the medication can uh, affect how a person has their outlook on, on life after? You're asking if the side effects of the chemotherapy yeah. has... and the medication I, has any um, bearing on mental health of cancer patients? Again, it, it can you can have extremely down days mm -hmm. and that can impact on your mental health. You know what I mean? But... To say that there's a direct link between chemotherapy and a psychiatric illness, no. But you can it will affect it can affect your mental health, the, the whole burden of disease and your outlook. And that is why it's so important again to promote healthier lifestyles. Because with healthier lifestyles, we get a healthier person. And a healthier person means more balance of the body, mind, and soul. And that is a good starting point for when you have to go into something such as a treatment journey. And how would you recommend that they fight it mentally? Um, are there like uh, specific classes that they can attend? Definitely. Um, it, it depends on what the patient likes. Like some patients might be up for yoga. Some might do uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. So um, acupuncture is, is also very supportive for mental health. 
um, some like sound therapy, um, counseling along with that. Um, sometimes gentle walks, going outside and getting some fresh air, but some people may not be able to be exposed to the sun directly for a couple of months. Mm -hmm. uh, talks, you know, having that person that you can talk to and chat with. So it, it really is dependent on the person, you know, were you an interviewer diagnosed? What was your personality? Like, for example, I'm a, I'm a laugher. Mm -hmm. I love to laugh, you know? So, so what is my approach to anything? And it really depends on, on, on where I am. You know what I mean? So, so any devastating illness, like for example, I think I, I can give a very clear example where I'm, I'm a very happy person and I look positively on life. And then I was impacted with an illness and then I had to be hospitalized. And then you say, okay, so how does this affect me mentally? And it's about journaling. It's about really appreciating the fact, what was my, was my cup half full then? You understand? Or was my outlook with my cup half empty? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it depends on the person. So whereas I came out of it making fun and, and journaling and knowing that I would have good days and bad days and not, you know, that was my outlook. And that's because of my lifestyle, how I carry it and what I went in with in terms of my coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. But not everybody is the same. So this is why we promote. And, it, you know, it seems and I think that's you, you, you actually hit a nail on the head by asking the question, because it, it lets us understand and your listeners understand that nothing is isolated from the other yeah mm -hmm. you're yeah. all one person you're all one body it's all connected so when we talk about eating right sleeping well effective sleep not smoking not vaping not having excessive alcohol intake looking at the quality of your food you know having exercise integrated into your lifestyle because it's a style of life it's not something that we have imposed upon you it can be something that you don't want to do mm -hmm. right when we do that we're taking you to a higher level completely holistically as a person because you get balance of your body mind and soul and therefore your coping mechanisms have improved your nervous system is is much more adapted your your serotonin your your dopamine everything is flowing as it should so it's a different level there i say if you get a devastating diagnosis well you go, you touched briefly on the next question i was about to ask you how does food impact on your uh, overall fight with cancer and the mental health needed to overcome the bad days the thing is that food impacts sick or not sick mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and this is why we have to now as consumers and as the public we have to make those hard choices of where we make the decision on what is brought in and given to us to put on our tables. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is why we at the Trinidad and Tobago Cancer Society, because we are members of the Trinidad and Tobago NCD Alliance, we're one of the founding members of that alliance, and we're advocating through CARICOM and through the Healthy Caribbean Coalition that we put those labels on the, the food and the front of label packaging saying this has excess sugar, this has excess sodium, because we need the public to be informed of what they're really taking into their bodies. Yeah, mm -hmm. we need to eat as wholesome as possible. This is why we're advocating that the tobacco industry is highly, highly taxed. This is why we're advocating for no vaping and for highly, highly controlled and regulated vaping industries, if at all, because we need more food. We don't need tobacco. Mm -hmm. We need to provide from our land. We need to stop the importation of, of food that does not benefit our bodies. We need to look after our communities. And this is where the CARICOM leaders come in. This is where the economics, not only of, 
our economies, but of health comes in. This is because the health of your society is the wealth of your society. And we've been touting that, that phrase for years. Mm -hmm. But we now have to ask our politicians and our leaders to do what they're talking about, to act what and not just speak about it. You understand how the impact of all of this that we've been doing has affected climate and is now affecting our lives. So when you ask me about food, it, it just incensed me because we need to get back to our wholesome eating. You understand? Mm -hmm. We understand that life has changed and we, we are on a on a constant wheel that we're going, going and going and going and going. But that doesn't mean that we can't have good quality food. You understand? I understand. You can cook your dal and rice and have your, 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 if you choose to eat meat, look at the quality of meat, right? If you choose not to eat meat, look at the quality of your vegetables because not, not eating meat and eating vegetables that have full, full of pesticides is, is six or one half a dozen the other. Yes, right? yeah. So, so we, th that is why I want to bring it home to the fact that we have to look carefully and speak to your grocer, speak to your farmer, speak to whoever, and understand what it is that's being done to get that food to your table. And to encourage more organic farming and, I guess, home gardens. Go back to that and, home yeah, garden. But then, but then somebody's going to tell you, but how are we doing that? Because we have come out of the pandemic, the active phase of the pandemic, and it seems like we're on a bigger roller coaster. Mm. Yeah. And so how do you get someone? We have to get out our houses at 5, 4 in the morning because of traffic. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> so, so it's it's a, so so we I mean it's very difficult don't get me wrong but individually we have to try and make choices and and collectively have to find solutions that work for us as a society because you can't continuously go on this road and expect only progress from an economic standpoint when you're losing the, the health of your society, the, the emotion of your society, everything. So then we're just empty shells then. So that makes no sense. You know, and that further impacts on our health and therefore cancer as well. I guess next week we can sit down and talk a little more about food and the important role that it plays in the treatment yes. of cancer. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. You've me. <laughs> oh, uh, well, let's let's just say I envigled you. Incensed is such a strong word. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. LeBlanc, for taking the time out to talk to us again about uh, cancer and, well, today specifically, the mental health that, is, that comes with it. Uh, any closing remarks? You know, I just urge everyone, yes, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It doesn't mean that breast cancer only occurs in October. So support, yes, we need the support. We need the support to increase screening, corporate TNT. We, yes, we do need your support, but I would like to advocate and educate everyone, empower you to get screened, get tested. Don't be afraid of that diagnosis. And most importantly, please make those small yet impactful changes on your lifestyle that can really, really, really give you a better survivorship profile. Thank you so much, Dr. LeBlanc, and we will talk again next week. See you next week. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great one. Same to you. The best insight, instant feedback, accountability, the all-new Talk Radio, Freedom 106.5.